You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Naked Scientist. Chris Smith, how are you? Good to chat to you once again. I think I'm in good form. How about you? No, not too bad, not too bad. It's okay. 11 I'm going to ask one or two questions, Chris, then I'll give it over to 702 land just to ask theirs. There's one that's already come in. It says, um, talking about snow and how does snow form those little crystalline figurines, which is quite interesting because we don't get much snow here in Gauteng, but uh, when it does fall, you have those little crystals. Well, the way in which you get ice crystals is from clouds, of course, because clouds, although they rain, the water often starts high up in the atmosphere where it was ice and it thaws as it falls. And uh, and, and so actually it was ice when it was in the cloud. Water that's in a cloud is called a hydrometeor. You get tiny particles of water and they rub around and jostle around inside the cloud, rising and falling on air currents. And that's actually why you also get thunder and lightning. But as they rise and fall, they gather more water vapor and become bigger and bigger. And small particles turn into bigger and bigger particles. And eventually they're so heavy that they cannot be suspended on the updrafts, the wind, the rising air going up into the cloud. So under gravity they fall. And that is snow, ice and hail fall. And depending upon how many cycles are rising and falling in the cloud and how and how many times they've melted and refrozen, you get either snowflakes, big snowflakes, small snowflakes or hailstones of different sizes that uh, end up making it down to the ground. And how many make it down to the ground and what size they are when they get there also depends on the temperature of the air they fall through. Because if the air is really warm, even though ice leaves the cloud, it may well fall sufficiently slowly that it melts and turns into rain before it hits the ground level. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, that does explain a bit there. Taking some of your calls now, 011-8830702. Maybe you do have a question for our naked scientist. Joe in Kalani. Hi, Joe. Uh, hi. Uh, I want to ask the uh, naked scientist a question. And this apparently is not a conspiracy theory. Apparently, the Chinese were investigating a genuine scientific investigation about SARS and so on. But they accidentally produced this virus, which has a peculiar nuclear structure unique to the uh, COVID virus. I think the arginine was unique to it. And many, many scientists working in the laboratory were affected, but this was not reported. And then the virus escaped in the environment. Now, the World Health Organization, although the Chinese tried to control it in Wuhan, but the World Health Organization has failed the world in not trying to control the infection at sight. Is there any truth in this uh, uh, Mm. theory? All right, Joe and Kalani. I think, Chris, it's, it's quite of a wide question at the moment. Everybody wants to know where COVID-19 came from. But as, as, as Joe's asking, is there any truth to what he's asking? Well, Joe Biden has actually asked that he receives a report within the next two or three months on what is known about the likely origins of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. Other intelligence agencies in other countries are also raising red flags saying there's not been enough transparency there's not been enough forthcoming cooperation from china we need to know some answers to some very important questions the world health organization repeatedly asked for the rights to make a visitation to china to send a team of investigators to probe the origins of covid19 
it took more than a year before they gained access to the country. When they did gain access to the country, it has been said by many that it was little more than a staged, managed puppet show where members of the Chinese Communist Party escorted the WHO teams around. And when they asked for certain samples, these have still not been forthcoming. And so there's clearly still a failure of cooperation and transparency. Now, even if China has nothing to hide and they've done nothing wrong, what is the reason for refusing to cooperate? It creates distrust and it makes people more likely to create conspiracy theories because of a failure to cooperate. At the moment, we don't know where we stand and we don't know where SARS-CoV-2 came from. What we do know is that it is a bat coronavirus originally and that the virus that's circulating in humans, there is a version in the bat world which is roughly 96% similar. You could say then, well, how long would it take one to turn into the other left to its own devices? Because 4% genetic difference, that sounds pretty close to me. Actually, that is 30 or 40 years of natural evolution at the rate at which these viruses evolve. So there's a 30-year gap there between what's in us and the closest relative we can find in animals. And what we can't find at the moment is the smoking gun that is what fills that gap. Is it in another mm. animal? Is there an intermediate? Did it uh, come to market as one virus, mix itself up with another animal coronavirus and turn into what is now SARS-CoV-2 in humans? Well, if that did happen, we should be able to find the intermediate or we should be able to find the other animal virus that mixed in with it to produce what is now spreading and, and shedding among humans. At the moment, we've drawn a blank. People have investigated. They have uh, been looking at various SARS-type viruses which have been collected across China. And the current theory is that what's most likely is that this thing was evolving and spreading gently and indolently in China for a long time and yeah. as it did so it slowly optimized itself and became capable of spreading very efficiently among humans and it wasn't until it did so that it then got into Wuhan and then began to spread internationally and turn into the pandemic and it's that reason that we missed it oh. but in the middle of Wuhan is of course the Wuhan Institute of Virology where there is one of the world's foremost experts in coronavirus biology and yes, that laboratory was doing experiments on coronaviruses, including close relatives of SARS-CoV-2. And they were doing gain-of-function mutation experiments where you confer on viruses various changes designed to alter their biology and in some cases perhaps make them more infectious. Now, that's pretty routine, pretty standard virology-type investigations to be doing because you need to understand how these viruses work and how they can cause disease if you change them. But it's a big step to say, and it was taken home from the laboratory and caused an escape and caused this pandemic. It probably yeah. didn't, but we don't know for sure. And what we do need to know is that we can rely on China to be transparent, forthcoming and open with information in the future. And the biggest criticism so far is that they haven't. Yeah, that's a big, big, big problem right there. Right, Joe, I hope, I hope that helps you a little bit. Langeliechle, hi, good afternoon. You have a question. Yes, I'd just like to know how do magnets move up? Would, mag would magnets work in space? Oh, I like that. Would magnets work in space, Chris? Absolutely. And the reason magnets work at all is that they have, if you have a magnetic material or a material that has been magnetized, they have within the magnet 
structures called dipoles. These dipoles are the spin, which is a quantum behavior of the particles in the entity, in the magnet. And when all of the spins are aligned in one particular orientation, you create a net magnetic effect. Now, that is not dependent on the entity being in any particular place. It could be on the Earth's surface. It could be in space. And so, yes, magnets will certainly work in space. And uh, if you took one up to the International Space Station, uh, they would still attract each other and they would still have a north and south pole. But, of course, they would work a bit differently because <laughs> there is no north and south in space. Mm. We don't have compass directions, but the polarity of the magnets would still apply and the north poles wouldn't want to stick together and the South Poles wouldn't want to stick together, but the North and South would. It's so interesting. Talking to the naked scientist Chris Smith, do give us a call. 11 883 The Naked Scientist. Right, let's take Hi, some... Hi, Chris Smith. Um, just a quick question. Uh, are people dying from the COVID uh, vaccine? That is the question. Thanks. Join you. Bye. There we go. Talking to the Naked Scientist this afternoon. It's a very good question. People are worried about these vaccines. Chris, what's your take? Well, all drugs and medicines have side effects, and uh, the COVID vaccines are no exception. But the vast majority of the time, those side effects, I'm pleased to say, are trivial. And any drug, any medicine that goes anywhere near a person has to go first through a gatekeeper called a regulator. And a country has their own regulatory body and there will be individual regulators for individual countries. So you can't just say it got passed in one country. So it, what's good for them is good for us. They may take into account what another country says, but a country's own regulator has to pass muster on an agent. And when they give permission for an agent to be used in a country, they will do so having thoroughly reviewed the trial data because all drugs and medicines have to go through very rigorous clinical trials. This is not uh, just giving five people something, seeing that no one dies and then going, yeah, I think that works. These are very, very high cost, high caliber, highly coordinated, very specialist trials, which involve thousands of people and they test safety. They also test efficacy. In other words, does this thing really work? And it, they're tested for real on people who are at risk of or have got the disease or condition that the drug or treatment is designed to prevent or treat. When that data has been collected, it's given to the regulators, presented to them, and they make an impartial, independent judgment on what the safety is and if this thing is a cost-benefit analysis-worthy process. In other words, having weighed up the costs and the risks, and they look at the pros and cons of whether or not they should use it, if there is a clear, clear picture of this returns a uh, safe and effective outcome and protects people from whatever disease or, or um, helps to rescue them from whatever condition, then they give their approval. So we can rest assured that if a country approves uh, an agent, they're approving it because they've considered very carefully what the risks are and weighed up those risks against what the benefits are. And they'll only approve something where that is a clear signal. They also don't stop their judgment there because once we roll things out on the broad scale into the real world, scrutiny continues and if we discover that there is something uh, untoward going on then guidance may change 
And mm. at the moment, a couple of billion doses of these vaccines have been given so far around the world for coronavirus. We think about two billion. Um, and we are not seeing bodies piling up because of vaccines. What we're seeing is bodies piling up because of people who are older catching coronavirus. So uh, having had the opportunity to have a vaccine, I held my arm out and said, yes, please. Right. Yeah, I'm, I've been the same as well. As soon as that vaccine comes my, my way, thank you. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll take two. One now and in one in five weeks' time. Let's take another voice note message. Hey, good day, Naked Scientist. Um, I just want to find out from you guys. Um, I was at the pharmacy earlier on, and I noticed that there are so, so many products that have to do with, you know, growing your hair and everything. Why hasn't science come up with a pill or just something to cure <laughs> male boldness because i see a lot of guys struggling and wearing to pay some going through horrible stuff why can't science find a cure for that thank you oh and so what a nice it's question a really there, tricky you know. one yep it's the same there are there are two things which i think if we could invent a magic pill for would instantly make someone very rich and probably also get them a nobel prize <laughs> one of them <laughs> is hair loss the other is weight gain we don't have magic bullets for either but we do understand a bit more about why they happen. And that means we're on the path to finding the answer, but we're not there yet. Now, we know why people, particularly men, lose hair as they get older. And this is because of uh, a condition called male pattern baldness. This condition is carried on the X chromosome, and it's to do with how hair follicles, which are the little ring of stem cells, which each push out a hair filament through the scalp, how those follicles respond to testosterone and derivatives of testosterone, which is, of course, present in men at higher levels than it is in women. And we don't know exactly why you get this particular distribution of hair loss. We don't know why it takes the time it does to occur. We don't know why it's more pronounced in some people than others. But what does happen is that you get a poisoning of the hair follicles in certain parts of the body in response to testosterone exposure, and those hair follicles, once lost, don't come back. It's very difficult, though, to persuade cells to turn into hair follicles and to grow new ones. They're quite a complicated structure involving a series of stem cells organized in a particular way, and you can't just magic up a new set of follicles. They require a set of genetic and other instructions to, to make the correct configuration to grow hair properly. And you've got to do that in the natural distribution that a hairy head would have normally. So this is a big nut to crack. And it has, it's, it's got uh, some, of the, some of the brightest minds on earth have, have grappled with this for many years, not solved the problem yet. But at least mm. we understand a bit more about why it happens, which means we're on the path to working out a way towards making it happen again. Yes, I like the way you said that. It's a tough nut to crack. I think a lot of the guys need their, their nuts. Uh, never let's just leave it there. Uh, Tubby in Krugerstorp. Hi, choice, Tubby. Yeah. <laughs> Tubby, you've got an interesting question. Go for it. Yes, good afternoon. I do have a question for the naked scientist. Uh, my boys were circumcised two days ago. Um, so today I took them for the 48-hour review. And apparently during the review, the nurse squeezed their penises very hard. I would like to find out what's the reason for that, because it resulted in a lot of pain. They are in great pain now. Sure. Okay. Tabi and Krugerstorp. Chris, that's interesting. A medical question. So I think I think I heard this correctly because the line wasn't great. Um, you're, you're, you're one boy or you've got two boys? 
Tubby, one boy or two boys? It's two boys. I keep two boys, 16 and 17 boys. years old. Mm. And, and how old are they? One is 16 and one is 17. Okay. And they had their circumcision? Yes, they were circumcised two days ago. They went for the yep. first um, um, appointment today to check if everything is going well. And apparently the nurse squeezed their penises very hard during the checkup. And uh, mm. they are in pain. I just need to find out why is there squeezing? Is there a medical reason why there would be the penises, which are still very low, um, uh, would mm. be squeezed during a checkup? Mm. Yeah. Um, not not something I would do. If, if I were checking a newly circumcised penis, I wouldn't give it a squeeze. Uh, I would uh, initially look at it and I would see if I saw anything that was amiss and then I would perhaps investigate further. Um, the only thing I can think of is if the person thought there might be some collection or infection in an area of skin and was trying to express some pus or something. But if, if the wound is clean and is not discharging and is not looking like it's getting more red, is actually settling down, then the best thing to do is to leave these things well alone. In terms of how I suppose they want to feel a bit more comfortable now, um, gentle bathing is always good with salty water. And um, I, I would I would say if it if it is throbbing a bit a bit sore, sitting in some uh, tepid salty water to give everything a nice rinse off and to let it settle is a good idea. And if the pain does continue, I mean you can take simple analgesics like Panadol, but but they ought to get checked again by someone who won't squeeze hard, and just make sure that uh, everything is okay if it if it continues to throb. It will hurt for a little while. Remember, I mean these are older boys now, so it's a slightly bigger procedure than when you do this on a baby. So it will take a little while for things to settle down. But try some simple analgesics like um, paracetamol, and as long as they're not bleeding that there's no uh, change in the wound, it's not discharging anything and they can pass urine okay, I, I'd say everything's probably okay just to wait for it to settle down. But obviously, if it doesn't settle down, then you must get someone to check it for you. Tabi and Krugersop, I hope that does help. SMS from Tabo. He is on the West Strand and he asks the question, will humans ever be able to colonize and live on Mars? I like that question. It's quite interesting. Well, you never say never in medicine and biology and that kind of thing because everything's always possible. Um, Niels Bohr, forefather of quantum mechanics, said prediction is very hard, especially when it concerns the future. But I think in this case, I'm going to predict that people will be on Mars and sooner rather than later. We've pretty much got the technology needed to get us there. It's just a problem that we don't have the technology really to get us back yet, although I suspect that is coming. And the, the question is, why do we want to go? Because Mars is not a very nice place. It's uh, highly radio irradiated. There's no decent atmosphere to breathe, so you're confined to a spacesuit or a space uh, ship or some kind of uh, habitation zone. You wouldn't be able to go out and just uh, run around in, in your nothings. It's also freezing cold and not very nice as, a, as an environment. Robots can probably do a better job than people, but if someone does want to be the first genuine Martian, uh, like Andy Weir's book, uh, an Andy Weir story that became the Hollywood blockbuster, mm. I, I think really we could make that happen. We can get spacecraft there in nine months. We could get a person there in nine months. They'd get a pretty hefty radiation dose on their way over there, and then they'd be stuck there. There's no easy way to get them back at the moment. 
Um, but we, we could get people there and people are already working on ways to do that and also ways for people to live on Mars. They're already developing habitation uh, systems and things like that and ways to grow food and so on. So these are all problems that science is grappling with. So I would say watch this space. Sorry, another <laughs> terrible pun. I like that. Final question. When do we get a cure for gout, please? And I think a lot of people suffer from gout. What can you do? Well, gout is when you have uh, uric acid crystals which get deposited in joints and they usually are deposited in the metatarsal joint of the big toe and it, the presence of these crystals causes inflammation and intense pain. It usually happens because you have high levels of various things in the body that get metabolized into uric acid and you can give a drug which is called allopurinol which inhibits the metabolic pathway that will reduce the level of uric acid in the bloodstream and therefore reduce the risk of getting these crystals in the first place. But prevention is always better than cure. If you have gout, you need to take painkillers and wait for it to settle down. But prevention is better than cure. You take drugs that will stop this happening in the first place if you're at risk of gout. That includes things like allopurinol. You can also modify your lifestyle so you minimize things like a rich diet and lots of red meat which increases your risk of getting gout. That's so interesting. Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist, good to have you back on 702. Good to, good to chat to you once again. Have a great week. See you soon.